And let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin, and also an example of godly life. Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of his redeeming work, and to follow daily in the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, in our, uh, in our current cultural context, Sundays don't really look a lot different than yet another Saturday in the weekend. And work and sports and entertainment have capitalized on this to uh, give us plenty of options and choices of things to do on a, on a Sunday. So, given, given that as our uh, reality, when you think of Sabbath laws, do you think of them in a negative or a positive? The, the fourth commandment uh, in the Ten Commandments is expressed like this in Exodus 20. Uh, it's, it, it's in um, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this commandment, as the Lord has given it to us, is expressed in both positive terms and negative terms. There are things that you are not to do on the Sabbath. There are things that you are to do on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees seems like they could only recognize the negative. And so they kind of honed in on the negative and, uh, and, and kind of drilled down on it. They concentrated on what you were not to do, so, and so much so that they continued honing on that so that they developed uh, 39 clarifications of work, each of which could continue, uh, like forever, being divided in, in, in order to get very specific about what this term of work means so that they could make sure that they weren't working on the Sabbath. What their issue was is they practiced an outward religiosity without an inward spiritual transformation. And religion without mercy is totally unacceptable. Religion without mercy is unacceptable to the Lord. If we are to follow the model of Jesus, and in our uh, collect for the day, that's the, the, the uh, and I don't know that Cramner wrote that, but wh- whoever wrote that was rather eloquent. And it says you have given your, your only son to be for us a sacrifice of sin. And, and we know that, and we, we concentrate on that piece a lot because really, because I have come from a place where this next part was emphasized over the first. The next part says, and also an example of godly life. So you have given your only son to be for us an example of godly life. So Jesus is, yes, he is the propitiation of, for your sin. And yes, you have sin and you needed that. But there's, so it's a both and, it's not an either or. But, and primarily, if, if in the first place he is this 
satisfaction of God's wrath for our sin, but then, yes, he is a model for godly life. So, as we are followers of him, if we're going to be followers of him and model our lives after him, those of us who have received mercy will extend mercy. And, and you're, you're sitting there saying, well, yeah. We all, of course we all know this. Well, we would think that the Pharisees would know this as well. And then I would say, I would suggest that we have our own issues with this same concept. Because I think we can be very selective sometimes in who we show mercy to, or selective in the times that we show mercy. We'll talk about that more in a minute. We're going to look at this passage in, in uh, the way our ESV breaks it down. We have a couple of uh, sections that we're going to look at. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to look at the Lord's uh, this the Lord of provision through sustenance. And we're going to look at the Lord of provision through uh, the Sabbath, through, through healing. And, and both of these, the sustenance and the healing, are taking place on the Sabbath. And this, is, of course, then is the setting um, that, and, the, and the problem that the Pharisees have. So the Pharisees were thinking more of this outward observance and less about this inward part that should be changed and the positives that could, could happen and should happen and actually are required to happen in that commandment of the, uh, the fourth commandment of keeping the Sabbath. So let's look to begin with here in verse 1 at the Lord of provision through sustenance. It says on, in verse 1, it says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Well, the first question we have to ask of this is simply, was this really unlawful? And what, and as you know, we're trained to read the Bible, the Bible's true. If they're asking this, well, then surely this must be unlawful or they wouldn't be asking. Well, that's why we need to understand considerably more. Were these Pharisees accurately interpreting the Scripture or were they relying on tradition? And it's easy, it's easy to pick the Pharisees apart because Jesus does that and we can just jump on some of Jesus' words and you see, you know, and, and that thing where Jesus is always, you know, where love is always ooey-gooey. Look how he loved the Pharisees and yelled at them and said, you know, woe to you and a few other things. Called them a brood of vipers. It's easy to pick at them. But, but, in it, but we are they. We, we, do we not do the same thing? Do we not misapply or misinterpret scripture or mis- misapply conventional wisdom and think it's scripture which is what that's just what they did this is what they did for instance let you know let me give you a for instance have you ever re- have you ever given this kind of good advice or received this good advice when somebody's hurting and some you know people have troubles uh, and they're suffering of some sort it is very common for us to say, as godly people, God will not give you more than you can handle. I, I believe I've even told people that myself. And lately I've been questioning, and, and you're like, where is that in the Bible? How does that really make sense even with a b- biblical worldview? Reality is that's not in the Bible. 
And a biblical Christian worldview says that it's actually the opposite. God does give us more than you can handle. It doesn't, it doesn't say God's going to test you based on what he sees inside of you and knows what you can stand. So that when troubles come your way, you are looking inwardly and then conjuring it up to, to tough it out. This is a tough situation, and, it, and there are all kinds of different sufferings. And as blessed as my life has been, I've even had sufferings. They might have been different than yours, but so we all have our different kinds of sufferings, but in the midst of that, are you looking inward to conjure up your, your toughness to get through it because God will never give you more than you can handle? Therefore, I must be able to handle what I'm going through. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible says God is our refuge. God is our strength. So when we're in the midst of troubles, are we to look within? No, we're to look without. We're to look, we're to look beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, and just between me and you, a lot of our sufferings, and I know this is not true for all of us, and it's not all, this, is not a, this, is, this is not a blanket statement, but it is a true statement. A lot of our sufferings are brought on because we've only been looking inside of ourselves anyway. Most of my difficulties or sufferings in life have been brought on really by me. I am my own worst enemy. If... Uh, and, 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 the, and the reality, what's supposed to happen in the midst of our sufferings, it's supposed to happen on our good days too, but we're supposed to get our eyes off of us and we're supposed to look at him. God is our strength. God is our refuge. That's what the Bible tells us. So I think we can relate to this very setting. And when, when we have been awakened to this, to, to this point of, okay, we have, it's, it's called syncretism, where we take conventional wisdom or the ways of our day and blend them with what true Christianity is, then we, as good brothers and sisters in Christ, can offer advice to one another that is really contrary, contradictory to what God's Word says. This is what's happening right here. Now, it may be for different purposes, uh, and that's difficult to tell. But again, it comes from this outward keeping uh, or outward observance of what they understand the law to be, without a heart change. Deuteronomy 23 says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. It also says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So, already, in God's word, according to God's law, he has made provision for those who are hungry. And there may be somebody who has an enormous field. It may be a small field. It may be a small vineyard. But the, passers, the passerby people are able, then, as they pass by, to take what they can eat. But they're not to harvest their crops and then go down to the market and sell them. They're not to harvest their crops and go home and can them. You know, uh, it, this is not for you to go in and pillage the neighbor's place, but it's a provision for those who are hungry. Well, the disciples were doing just this very thing. They were not pillaging these these uh, somebody's field. They were simply feeding themselves because they were hungry. But the Pharisees didn't understand how to interpret what they were seeing 
because they didn't know what to do with grace. They just didn't know what to do with grace. The only thing they could relate to was the hard rigidity of the law. And so Jesus answered them. It says in verse 3, it says, And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of the any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Well, so, you know, what's what's with this? Well, David was set out on a mission, and he and his he's leading men, he's he's fleeing from Saul, and he and his men are running, and now they're starving. They are hungry. And so, um, and, 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 and it was in this that I'm reminded in understanding this uh, out of 1 Samuel, the story. So David, this, as, as Jesus' words describe that here in this passage, it seems very bold that David went in and took it. And that's all I had in my head. But he actually meets with the priest, Ahimelech. And Ahimelech uh, asked if, if, if his men were clean, uh, ceremonially clean, and he assured them they were. And as, as men of war, men of the field, wanted to see if he, they were uh, having women with them, or if they had been sleeping around, or if they were ceremonially clean, he assures them they were ceremonially clean, as they always are as they're out on the field, according to what David's response was. So, with that, Ahimelech gives him this bread. This bread is also called showbread that you'll, you'll, you'll see. It's bread of the presence or showbread. There are 12 loaves that uh, when it's made fresh for the Sabbath day, it is delivered hot to the altar. And you have uh, two rows of six loaves. And the, uh, the, the symbolism is for the 12 tribes of Israel. They are in the presence of God and they're relying on God for their sustenance, for their um, strength, for their guidance. And this bread is to be kept in in God's presence for the week. So next Sabbath day comes and they're going to replace this bread with other bread. But it is consecrated bread, meaning it is set aside to the Lord. So those who would eat it, it's like the other sacrifices that the priests could eat, it has been consecrated, and it's not for public consumption, but it's for the priests, and only the priests. And that's, that's uh, Jesus gives us that much detail in his summary of the story. But Jesus refers to this story to illustrate that the human need must not be subjected to pure legalism. In the uh, parallel passage to this story in Matthew, Matthew, Matthew's version, Jesus is saying, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, then he quotes, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, end of quote, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So, same story. There are a few more words recorded in Matthew. There's the whole temple imagery and, and typology that it just gives me chills when you, when you read along and he says, one greater than the temple is here. 
One greater than Moses is here. One greater than Noah is here. It just kind of goes on and on. So all these things have being types that are pointing to the fulfillment of Jesus. That's not where we are, so we'll, 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 we'll skip that. But if you've known what this means, and then he's quoting. So where is he quoting from? He's quoting from Hosea 6. And essentially, then, what he's... And, and again, here he's yelling at them. And that kind, soft Jesus that everybody wants to understand that he is and how he's extending love, he's yelling at the disciples, at the Pharisees, for what? For not understanding the Bible, for not understanding God's word, for not understanding God and how he has already revealed himself to be. He's saying if, if you would have understood Hosea 6, that God desires mercy, and then actions motivated, motivated by compassion and not cold ritual, then you would not have been so critical to condemn my disciples. Don't you remember a thousand years ago, the priest Ahimelech lived this out as he cared for David and his men when they were hungry. But this wasn't with raw grain. This was with consecrated bread. You are ignorant of God's word, and how to apply it in your life. Where is your mercy? Essentially, because of what he has said, he has said that. That we can understand that it, it, it gives it a f- more of a punch. And this was a heck of a punch. They, re- they heard all that I just said and more so. Because they were there. And they're receiving what Jesus has given to them. But he is, he is chastising them for not applying God's word and, and showing mercy. The letter of the law is not with the spirit of the law. And they are concentrating on one aspect while ignoring an entire other aspect of God's word as they continue to develop patterns and ways in which to try to keep God's words, what is, is, would be their argument. And I say that we do this with all kinds, we, we have all kinds of things that turn into legalism. Uh, I gave you an example of taking conventional wisdom and mingling it with some, um, maybe some God talk, and then we come up with, with a wrong application of Scripture, really. But then we really also do this, and we have friends who do this, and we have friends who then don't know how to judge and us, because they don't know what to do with grace. So some of those uptight Christians, we bother them because we live so freely. But then there are people who live more freely than us. And what do we do with those? We can have some issues. We can have some issues trying to deal with them because we have expectations of how if this, if you, if you really love God, you wouldn't do this or you wouldn't do that. We can do that. But Jesus says to them, in verse 5 it says, And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we just see progression upon progression upon progression of Jesus revealing himself and his identity, showing his authority over all kinds of things. So he had shown his authority over demons in Capernaum, over sickness in Peter's home in that village there where the whole village he healed over leprosy by placing his hands on the leper, over the paralytic and, the, and sins, uh, the ability to forgive sins, and then over sin and sinners and the ability to call a sinner 
and the lowly status of that tax collector Levi to himself, um, and then and and then to be with his friends, and somehow Jesus is still Lord over all of that, and now he's saying he's the Lord of the Sabbath. But more than that, for us, what this means, and and, that, and this is no wonder the Pharisees are getting rather aggravated. It just keeps he just keeps ramping it up and ramping it up because his claims are even greater. When he claims that he's Lord of the Sabbath, he's, he has lordship over the Sabbath. The Sabbath is under him. That's, that's what being Lord means. Well, they understand that the, the Sabbath was called down from the heavens when Moses received the law. How can this guy claim he's Lord over the Sabbath? Makes no sense. For us, he is, Lord, he is not only Lord of the Sabbath, he is our Sabbath. So in him are all the things that the Sabbath was designed to give. In him we have rest. In him we rest from our labors, the writer of Hebrews says. In him we have nourishment. In him we have restoration. In him we have communion with our Heavenly Father. So he is our Sabbath. So we're going to next look at the next section, and it's the Lord of provision through healing. And, it, and of course, we're, we're still on the Sabbath. It's, it's a different Sabbath day, but, it, but the topic is Sabbath keeping. And um, I think it's interesting. We have two stories in a row here of two different Sabbaths. And it's after he has done all these things that we just talked about. And the, the, his opponents, the religious people of the day, are getting more and more ramped up and wanting to, by the end of this, they're trying to plot to kill him. Because he's interrupting their entire method here. Uh, beginning in 6. On another, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the Man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he, he, said, to, he said to him, the man that is, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now they're just totally enraged. Jesus, after this, from one scene to the next scene to the next scene, continues to exhibit his authority, and then he's now ha- healing on this Sabbath because they were looking for him to heal. They thought they were setting a trap. So Jesus has been, his, his history is that he's been doing good for people. You have the opponents who are aggravated that he's doing good because they know law and not grace. They understand the observance of the law and not mercy. So in the Sabbath, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, they're watching him to see if he's going to do good so that they can catch him. I, I find this silly. But I think sometimes that's how blind uh, we can be. They are worried that he is showing compassion. 
and they want to catch him. They want to catch him doing something nice for people who live among them. To hear it explained like that, I find that to be silliness. But where then I start being convicted is when I say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me. How am I like them? And, I, you know, of course, I wouldn't want to reveal real deep uh, truths here or, you know, stuff. But have, have you ever found yourself being so self-righteous that you become critical, critical of a person or critical of a people, and that you almost want to see them not do well? You almost wish that things would not go well for them somehow. Perhaps, perhaps I'm the only one. Um, there, I got to watch a little NASCAR racing last night, a short track, and I, you know, I, I know you, I'm, I'm alone in this, but um, I do like it. And typically, no matter what the season is, there's, there's a guy who's arrogant and does well, so he's easy not to like. Because, huh? <laughs> for, for instance... And, and, and he uh, drives rather aggressively. You know, he'll knock people out of his way and so on. Well, he, and all that happened last night. And, and, but he's also fun to watch because he's so, he, he does so well. And if he were just arrogant but uh, was worthless, he would just stay in the back and, and nobody, he'd never get any camera time and we wouldn't know anything about him. Except he is so good, he always gets camera time and he evokes emotion. Some people, I, I don't know who, but some people must like him. But there are all kinds of people that don't like him. And so there's, when, after he wrecked a popular guy who was a good guy, um, later he gets wrecked. And then the way his car is sitting, he's not, just to, he's not totally wrecked where he can't drive it. He could drive it some, but he's high-centered and he's stuck and he's just spinning his wheel. And it's, it's hilarious because over the roars of those engines at Bristol, it's just like a bowl and it's just loud. Over the roars of the engines, you can hear the crowd cheering. Everybody's excited that he has had a bad day. I'm pretty excited myself. And, and, and maybe that's even why I came up with that scenario. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a thing where I think sometimes we see people who are doing well, but there's something about them that we are critical of. And, it may be, and it's, not, it's, not a, it's, it's not a thing like they are a false teacher. Uh, sometimes I at least allude to, or if not say directly about some names, and I, and I would claim they're false teachers. And I think that's right and good for me to do. I, think, I probably should do that more. But this is a thing where just normal practicing Christians, you might just get somehow, or a group of, you may not like the way they do what they do, so you become critical of them. And then you wish they wouldn't do well. So if that's not enough convic- conviction... 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, this was their problem. They claimed to love God, but they had no love for their neighbor. They, They claimed to do all the right things, but they had no mercy. The self-righteous person will have no regard for mercy toward his neighbor. But I say that that's their problem, but isn't that our problem? There's a song we sing that 
there, we, we sing, in here we sing kind of a, a cross-section of songs, and out there we can sing all kinds of songs. And there are songs sometimes that are sung where we're claiming our full devotion to the Lord. And any more of those give me heebie-jeebies. So I'm like, no, that's, that's not me. No, I don't love you with all my heart. I want to, but I love too many other things, Lord, to love you with all my heart. We sing a song that says, and I wish I could love you more. That's me. And I wish I could love you more, my God and my King. Because you, if, And if you're catching this, my problem when I'm critical of this group or people is because I really have this problem. Somehow I deserve that grace because of the good in me or the good I'm doing or the you name it. I can come up with reasons, probably. Now, I'm not, I mean, I never preach that to you and I tell you the truth that, you know, we can't, you don't earn it. There's nothing in you. I know, I know this here in my walk and I'm challenging you to say yours is the same. You know it here. It's getting that from here to here. Because when I become critical of somebody or something, I have lost sight of the gospel. I believe I have deserved grace, and somehow they don't. I believe I'm redeemable, and they're not, or whatever. I'm just like a Pharisee. I'm looking at them through critical eyes because they don't follow the Lord the way I follow the Lord. And, 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 hear, and hear what I'm saying. There is that thing where you know the tree by the fruit. It's just that where the, the, the problem with the Pharisees, they were not calling evil good and good evil. Like, and, and we do this today. And I'm not suggesting we do that. But what their issue is, they were confusing fringe issues with fundamental issues. So much so that they wanted to kill Jesus. They're going to plot. They're plotting to kill Jesus because of the way he showed mercy. And simply Jesus is saying, if you knew God, if you knew his word, you would understand that he desires mercy more so than observance of, 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 the, of this rigid thing that you've created. And I'm saying for us, if we take side issues and make them prominent, then we may be throwing road, roadblocks in our way to loving our neighbor. Um, I was also, this, so this week, um, many of you know, I was in class, and my last class, thank the Lord, um, for, for my degree that I've only been working on for about 11 years. So I got some more stuff to do, but it was my last class, and it was a church planting class, and it was very good, but I was, in it, I was challenged by those different areas of the things that the church is supposed to do, and I've told you about these before, but Acts 2.42 discusses these things, but in that thing of, of uh, outreach or mercy, showing mercy, what are your mercy ministries? And I was very thankful that you, you ladies met and um, put those baskets together and took them to the teachers at the school or the, the staff at the school. Um, those, I at least, you know, so now I have that to check. I, oh, we did do that. But we, need, we collectively need to do more. There, I'm personally convicted of what I need to do, but then collectively, how do I lead so that we uh, can do more of those kinds of things so that we can show mercy to those who are hurting somehow? And, you know, so I have friends that are ministering to a group of people who we are not maybe equipped to minister to. But there are some things that we can do, and, and I would like to challenge our 
our, our thinking and my thinking and that uh, as we go forward, how do we do uh, at least what we can do? How can we minister to the different areas that we can? The uh, uh, women's care center or the th- through, and, 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 there's, and even through our work with Young Life, there's really mercy that's happening. That's, that happening, that's happening there in a multitude of ways as we care for leaders, but as we equip leaders to, to care for uh, the kids. So it's not, all, it's not just evangelism under that. So our, our work with, with Young Life is huge in that also. But there, um, and, and what I do with Habitat and so on. So there, there are some areas we, we are doing some things, but we collectively ought to be known as a place that's showing mercy somehow. Um, we, we, would, we would pray that we are known for uh, Bible teaching that believes the Bible. I was, I was going to say good. I don't know how good the teaching is, but it's teaching that actually believes the Bible. And that's really kind of key. So, but, but when you come down to mercy, are we going to be known for, ministry, for, for mercy ministries of how we love our neighbor? So that's, that, that's where I was challenged on that as well. Um, and then, and then, in order to keep this thing righted, so re- there are all kinds of people out there who may be involved in mercy ministries or doing good for people who are not of faith. And so, when we're you know to balance the judging the tree by its fruit, there are people who are doing nice things for people here locally. You're, you're rubbing shoulders with them, but they may not be people of faith. Well. And and that, and just simply, that's true. And there may be a group of uh, the radio stations. Uh, as as Don works with motorcycle groups and some other folks who round up toys for uh, the like toys for tots things or whatever, whatever they're called. And the the secular radio stations generate more good in in that in that sense than our little body could possibly do anyway. So it's, it's so we got to help us understand and keep this thing in track too but and 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 really what comes to happen here is is it's not a measure of who's doing what good because people can't be doing good without faith at all but the reality here is this lesson is true faith produces true mercy if so and and our, and our and our our job is not to weigh ourselves against what whatever ministry out there or or whatever secular business out there that's doing good it's just to it's it's the it, we're to look inside to say uh, uh, you know help us Lord help us Holy Spirit am I showing does my life model the life of Christ to some degree as He had a life of sh- showing mercy to people how do I live into that will I be known for mercy will I be known for uh, a man of faith a woman of faith who has practiced faith by the way. I have loved my neighbor. So if you have received love, if you have received forgiveness, if you have received mercy, if you understand the gospel, if you really believe the gospel, and not mentally, but in your heart, then you will show mercy. So you will live out the gospel in a way that does not value the strict observance of religiosity, but you'll live out the gospel in your life that supply that is interested in supplying the needs of others. And it will awaken you 
to the needy that's right around you. So, for us, for you, very simply, will you show mercy this very week? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.